Okay, okay. Keep looking up. Okay. This is Flyover Book, a podcast exploring the progressive arts, culture, and politics of rural America. This episode is brought to you by Haymakers Community Engagement Consultants. If you run a business or nonprofit working to make the world a better place, then visit wemakehay.com to see how Haymakers can help. This episode is also sponsored by RuralOrganizing.org. RuralOrganizing.org has been equipping and empowering rural changemakers since 2012. Visit RuralOrganizing.org for more information. I, my hope is that there is a way for organizers, um, people who care about their communities, to 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 notice the deep level of discontentment in our existing structures and to somehow figure out a way to to work together to change it. The election of Donald Trump was a wake-up call, especially for many Americans outside of rural communities. Politicians have been using rural resentment toward the cities for years, but nobody did this better than Donald Trump. Today's guest, Dr. Kathy Kramer, is the author of The Politics of Resentment, Rural Consciousness in Wisconsin, and The Rise of Scott Walker. We talk about how politicians leverage resentment in rural communities for their own political gain and what we can do to incorporate more rural voices into the democratic process. I'm Matt Hildreth. You're listening to Flyover Folk, exploring progressive arts, culture, and politics in rural America. First of all, thanks for for being here. Um, I'm a big fan of the book. That's really kind. It's my honor, really. (laughs) Well, and I think that, I think you probably have a better idea of of what's happening in in the political landscape than than a lot of people. I mean, maybe not a better idea, but at least a fuller idea. Um, it seems like you you were picking up, going all the way back to 2007, some of these these trends that came as a bit of a shock, I think, on a, on election day or the day after the election. Um, and I'm wondering if you could just maybe say a little bit about what what is happening right now and and yeah. what what just happened. Uh, uh, maybe yeah. going back, not not just at the election, but but. I think you have that context that a lot of political scientists just, just missed and don't have. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about yeah. that. Well, I guess, I mean, it's really great talking with you and you, you doing this podcast. Um, because for the vast majority of our media, I mean, a big thing in my mind that's going on right now is like the country, the world in many ways is, is waking up to the fact that, yeah, it's the case we're an increasingly urban world, urban society, but there's a ton of people who live in rural America, right? And these smaller communities are important um, in terms of politically, they're important clearly, but also, I mean, there's people there with real lives and real struggles and um, we haven't been paying attention. And so the reason I bring up media is that part of uh, is what I think what is happening is so much of our information environment is driven by non-urban spaces right and so we haven't been watching political scientists but also just people who consume mass media haven't been watching and I think right now a lot of people are are reacting as if um, Donald Trump has done something to the context but it's not Donald Trump, right? These things have been going on long before him. He tapped into sentiments that have been there a long time. 
But in my mind, like this is an, an awakening period for a whole lot of people and for a whole lot of other people. It's a, yeah, no kidding, <laughs> right? Like this, yeah, this is not new. And so. I think you write at the end of your book, um, you talk about, maybe it's not at the end, but towards the end, you, you talk a little bit about lessening the surprise. Uh, and mm. I think that was within the context of uh, the, the election of Scott Walker in Wisconsin oh. and, and, and watching that play out. Um, and I, I wonder if you could talk a, a little bit about what you saw on election night and whether or not you were surprised and, yeah. and how you experienced that moment. Sure. So election 2016. Yeah. Um, I was surprised, to be honest, because uh, as a public opinion scholar, I use polls too. You know what I mean? And I had been watching the polls and the poll aggregators, and it sure looked to me like it was going to be close, but it was pretty clearly going to be a Clinton win. And so on election night, I was at uh, a, a friend's house, a bunch of political scientists gathered with our families to watch the returns, and I was there with my daughter, and we were watching um, the television news. But you can imagine a bunch of political scientists, a bunch of people had their laptops open, and so... Really what sticks in my mind was watching the New York Times graph showing the, the likelihood of Trump winning and Clinton winning that graph. And when the line started to cross and Trump's prospects rose steeply, um, I sort of gathered up my kid and went home and thought, um, I, I see what's happening and I think I'm going to have a busy day tomorrow, you know. <laughs> and sure enough, I I do have the bad habit of checking my email right before I go to bed. And yeah. there's an email from the New York Times saying, um, can we talk to you? Yeah, <laughs> so, but I was surprised, to be honest. Yeah, and but, can you can you talk, just maybe walk through this idea of, of, of resentment or the politics of sure. resentment and, and rural resentment? And, and, and how yeah. do you kind of see that? Yeah, so what I'm talking about when I talk about resentment is this sense of, you know, I did this field work in Wisconsin of visiting a wide variety of places, and I wasn't looking for a rural versus urban divide, but I had sampled communities um, in a way that meant I was spending a lot of time in some smaller places, more rural communities, and what I was hearing there was just this this resentment toward the cities and city people and this sense of you know, we're we're working really hard to make ends meet, and it seems like we're not getting our fair share. We're not getting our fair share of attention because all the important cities or all the important decisions are made in the cities, made elsewhere, and no one's listening to us. And we're not getting our fair share of money. It seems like all the taxpayer dollars go to the cities, and we're not getting our fair share of respect because those folks making decisions don't know us. They're not familiar with us. Um, they don't seem to care and they don't actually even like us right they don't give us respect and so that's what I mean by the resentment it's this sense of sometimes it's anger but a lot of times it's not quite at that level or hasn't been right it's just sense that like things are fundamentally off we're good people we're playing by the rules and the system just seems to be rigged against us um so resentment, it's not the most positive term, but honestly, when I go back to the groups I've spent time with now and I say, you know, sometimes people are asking me, like, aren't the people that you spend time with, aren't they kind of pissed off at that title? And then the folks, you know, I've been spending time with look at me like, 
what do you mean? Like, what was right. the subtitle again? What do you call that thing after the colon, right? Yeah. And I'll say, no, I mean the word resentment. <laughs> Usually the response is, yeah, we're resentful. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, 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 I found myself even as you know, I kind of identify as progressive, but I found myself associating yeah, with that term, with that term as well. I mean, uh, and and I've since you know kind of left the small town. Um, and, but I still have, I think, uh, somewhat of a rural way of looking at things just cause that's where my yeah, sure. ideas were shaped. And, um, and I, I, when I saw the, the title, I, I, re- I mean, I felt like, oh, I have to read this because I remember in South Dakota, it was Pierre. And, you know, uh, like the, the people in Pierre have forgotten us, or actually it was probably more Sioux Falls cause that's, okay. that's like the big city. I, yeah. But, um, having lived in Iowa as well, I mean, um, you, you just feel that it's uh, they don't even know and they, they don't even they don't even care. Um, but but I did see recently yeah. the, the Des Moines Register had had used some of that frame yeah. that you. That Thanks for pointing that article out to me. Yeah, and I'm wondering if you've taken a look at it because the Des Moines yeah. Register I think was saying and maybe challenging a little bit at the idea yep. of of rural resentment and saying like when we asked people in a survey, yeah, do you resent the you know urban communities? They yeah. said no, and in fact they found. Uh, at least they were kind of interpreting the numbers to say people in the city were more likely to want to live in yeah. a small town than kind of the other way around. So I don't know if you yeah. had a chance to take a look at I that. I did. I looked pretty closely, and I found it fascinating in so many ways. So it could be – I have a variety of thoughts about it. One is that maybe in Iowa the the divide is less stark. Like maybe there's less resentment toward Des Moines, Dubuque maybe. Um, I don't know. You could tell me. Better, you know, just having, you know, lived their family there, uh, what it seems like to you. But I think probably what's going on is that if I if I ask you as a stranger over the phone in a survey, so do you feel envy and resentment toward the cities? You're not going to say yes. I mean, if I say, like, so are you, you know, <laughs> I don't it, maybe especially in Iowa, like I think if you ask Wisconsinites, like, are you envious? Are you resentful? Some stranger asking you that over the phone? I mean, no, but most people are going to say no. The thing is, like, people don't use the term resentment, right? Look, I I mean, at times they do in my field work, but resentment is not something like, it's not a thing in of itself. It's this overall perspective, this sentiment that has all these different parts to it, right? This feeling of like, I'm on the short end of the stick in terms right. of attention and money and just people caring about me or respect. And it comes out not necessarily through the word resentment, but through just different behaviors and attitudes. And so I don't think many people put that label on it themselves right. but is that perspective there yeah. probably and now it's really interesting though that they find that the city folk were more likely to say that they felt envy and resentful toward the urban or the rural areas and i wonder how much of that is driven by this thing that's happening right now right with right. all this attention to rural versus urban and i've been very fascinated to know like in my field work, 2007 up to 2012, and then in the past few years, um, city folks, when I asked them, like, so how do you feel about the rural areas or some version of that question, they were sort of like, 
never really thought about what yeah. do you mean you we know think about yeah the and, but now they are yeah right which in some ways just in the some of the honest conversations i've heard since the election that was why people voted for donald trump like they they sort yeah. of felt like this is my protest this is yeah. my like this is me throwing a wrench into the into the system i yeah. saw some really interesting op-eds coming out of some rural communities saying you know this explaining their their interesting their vote, which i thought was interesting yeah. um you also write about um the 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 populist tendencies of rural communities and i think some of this resentment sort of plays into to the historical mm-hmm, context mm-hmm. of rural populism could you talk a little bit about like where the pop the the populist movement kind of came from in America specifically within that rural context. And then you also, I think, touch on issues of race and and how race has been used to sort of dampen populist, at least that's how I was kind of reading it, like where it was used to dampen populist movements. So I I would just like to have you talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so that's a big ball of wax, so steer me in the right direction if I'm going astray. But yeah, so generally, I mean, populism is definitely one of those terms that's holy cow, a lot of talk about it, right, right. in like more popular media these days and, and among academics too. And it's a it's a big term and it's meant a lot of different things through history. But in general, the way I understand it is this sense of more like a, it's like a political mm, um, um, kind of almost ideology, but it's more like on the on the part of political actors, it's a way to sort of set yourself up as a candidate or a party in terms of what you stand for. And it's basically people good, government bad, mm-hmm. right? People good or elites in power right now, bad. And it's taken different forms at different times. So in the, like what we call the, the early populist movement in the U.S. was this sense of, you know, some people in the culture becoming super wealthy relatively rapidly, the Gilded Age and such, where railroads, industrial revolution had set up this situation in which a lot of folks in rural areas, farmers in particular, were really struggling. And yet there was visibly a whole lot of wealth in other parts. And so there was this sense of like, okay, whoever is in charge is seriously messing things up and they're not doing things on our side, Mm -hmm. similar to what we have now. But back at at that populist movement, the turn that it took was not necessarily um, a right wing turn towards let's get rid of government as much as possible, but like let's have different people in charge and it led to the progressive movement and such. Um, so it's different now, the tone that it's taking. And, and when you look across the world, like populist movements in Latin America have taken a very leftward turn as opposed to a right wing turn that we're seeing here and in, in Europe. But with respect to race, the thing that I find really fascinating and really important for understanding where we're at right now in terms of racial justice in this country is after the Civil War and, you know, the the seeds of the populist movement back then, you had uh, newly freed black slaves and people, white folks in rural areas, both really struggling, trying to figure out, like, how are we going to make ends meet, (laughs) for lack of a better way to put it, and showing some signs of moving towards organizing together, like creating coalitions that they could then come together and and protest or rise up against existing corporate decisions, government decisions. 
And at the time, it became very useful to, to, to use race, to create race in a lot of ways, to drive a wedge between these black folks and these white folks, right? And that wedge, I think, because it's been in our conversations about who should get what and what role should government play in redistribution, um, that conversation has always been a part of our conversations Mm -hmm. about redistribution. It's a lot of times it's very implicit, but in my mind, we've never, um, we've never gotten past that, that, that wedge that was driven between people of relatively low income Mm -hmm. of, of what we now see as different racial backgrounds. So how does that play specifically into the, the changes you're seeing in Wisconsin? Do you, do you feel like for a lot of folks they are responding to to that dynamic around race or is it is it more just anybody in milwaukee or anybody in madison yeah. or it or are they kind of picking and choosing you know oh, who, that's a great who, question who they're re- resenting great question great question i Probably the most accurate answer is to say there's not a lot of picking and choosing. There's sort of a a white folks, people of color divide that comes up. But it's really complicated and meaning, um, as you might expect, <laughs> I'm pausing so much because it's uh, I'm pausing so much because it's very simple and very complicated, and I'm very mindful of not wanting to to oversimplify, and at the same time not wanting to deny the fact of racism, which is so strong and so prevalent, and we can see that in 2016, right? And it's prevalent in the way is often has beneath the surface, and and politicians. Other folks can tap into it pretty readily, right? But the complexity of it for me is that oftentimes race gets talked about in terms of deservingness, this question of like who who deserves my attention or who deserves public resources, right? And it's intertwined with this notion of hard work. And people's stereotypes of who it is that live in the cities is often intertwined with these notions of laziness, um, which both means, you know, uh, I'm sorry to say it, but the stereotypical notion of someone, uh, an African-American on welfare, not working, need I say more. But it's also a, a notion of laziness attached to those those white folks in the cities, right, doing these jobs where they sit behind desks and work at computers and 9 to 5 and take showers before work after, after rather than after, right? Yeah. And so the complexity is partly... Race is definitely a part of those conversations about who's deserving, but it it's a way oversimpli- oversimplification in my mind to say that it's, how do I say this, that it's just about race, right? And then when you look at different racial and ethnic groups in the state, um, you know, so, and I'll just name the f- four primary ones, but African Americans, and then you also have a significant Native American population, right? We have 12 Native nations in the state and represented um, in terms of tribal lands. Um, 
and then a significant Hmong population, right? And then an increasingly large Latinx population. And um, the the way people respond to the deservingness of each of those populations depend on where you are and people's personal experience with those folks. Um, and sometimes the issue at hand, too. So... Um, there's a lot of details that make it really complex and very context-driven, and at the same time, it's simple in that, like, there, there is still this white folks, folks versus other folks divide. And do you think the response to that is, uh, maybe there's more than two, but it seems like there's two cho- choices. One is to say that the other people aren't getting that much, and okay. the other is to focus on the, the rural voters to say, what do you oh. need? Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if you, oh, in yeah. your conversations, if you've seen that dynamic play out, because I think sometimes the tendency is to say, to focus on the stereotype and say, that's not the, that, that stereotype right. is not true, which I think that part is obviously very important. But then I think some people forget to then come and say, this is, this is how the government re- relates to you, or this is how, you know, you're working and this is how we can kind of improve your situation. I don't know if you have thoughts on that or if, if yeah. you have conversations you've seen that play out, but I think some, sometimes that second piece of, of, of actually addressing the rural issues is, is missed. Yeah, yeah. So stop me if I'm not answering exactly what you're asking, but um, what I hear you saying is like how oftentimes people are saying those folks are getting too much. Right. And then, then what's the other part of the conversation? Is it, um, and so why, why can't we get some of that as well? Um, but they, it could also be. So what's wrong with the whole system? Right. That means we're all getting uh, the short end of the stick. Right. Right. Um, I think I've learned more about that conversation. In, in the months since the 2016 election then in my fieldwork leading up to that, meaning when I've asked folks in rural Wisconsin, you know, so, okay, you're happy that Donald Trump won. What are you hoping for? What do you hope to see four or five years from now in your community? And I've been um, probably naively surprised that their response has been, oh, nothing's going to change around here. Yeah. What are you talking about? Like right. presidential elections, you know, they don't change right. anything around here. And then, so then what they talk about is, but at least he's going to shake things up and then he's going to stop this flow of like all this money that's going to these groups, whether it's illegal immigrants um, or, uh, you know, those folks in the city or in other words the way that they're understanding it is it's not it's not possible to create structures right now that are going to make us all better off but at least we're going to stop the flow of money to those undeserving other people right and can that conversation change we've never been able to achieve it yeah in this country like so that you know going back to that early populist movement discussion um but I still believe that it can. I mean, I am a small D Democrat, right? And I believe, I do believe that there is that 
democracy can work. Do we have it right now? I don't think so. Can we? It's going to take some significant work. And, yeah. you know, but um, we, right now, for the most part, I don't think people, there's not a widespread belief in it. Right. So in order for it to work, where would you start? Yeah. I would start in somehow paying more attention to the lives of ordinary folks, rural areas, but urban, suburban areas too, right? Because part of your earlier question, you know, um, there are significant issues in our rural communities. Like there are particular things going on in our rural places that thank God we are paying attention to, right? Just the, the nature of the economic stress, the nature of the lack of infrastructure, whether we're talking about broadband or the way in which jobs have not recovered since the recession, um, opioid crisis. I mean, there are certain things that are getting attention. There are certain things that are just still off the radar. And we need to pay attention to the particular things going on in rural areas. But we also, the reason I say lift up the voices of ordinary folks across the country, we also should be attentive to the way in which this sentiment of, I'm not getting my fair share of attention. People around here not being paid attention to whoever's making the decisions, not listening to people like me, right? That and I'm not getting the stuff I need just to, just at a basic level to get ahead. And I also, you know, I'm feeling like the folks in charge do not respect people like me, don't know us, don't understand us, don't like us. That's not unique to rural areas, mm -hmm. right? Think of all the places that we're seeing. Like, think of the ways in which Black Lives Matter yeah. is saying that in a different way, right? right? But we don't notice that through public opinion polls. We don't notice that through the rhetoric our politicians give back to us. I, my hope is that there is a way for organizers, um, people who care about their communities, to, to, to notice the deep level of discontentment in our existing structures and to somehow figure out a way to, to work together to change it. What is wrong with the public opinion polling? You know, you, you're yeah. talking about how it's not picking it up. How I is think, that falling short? Yeah, I think one of the issues is that a good public opinion poll, I mean, public opinion polls, um, are best at capturing responses to closed-ended questions that basically say, here's the specific thing I'm asking you about. Please categorize yourself according to these, this or that response or the, one of five responses or one of seven responses. And the issue is that we have to know what we're looking for before we design those questions, right. right? And if we do, they're super helpful right. for capturing what a broad cross-section of the population thinks. But if what we're after is, how are people thinking about this? Mm -hmm. What are people's concerns? Um, it's hard to get at that through a public opinion poll. Like, mm -hmm. for example, the what are people's concerns question, the best way we know to ask about that is, what are the most important problems facing people in the nation today, or maybe more yeah. specifically in your community today? And what happens with the question like that is people think, okay, I'm trying to um, answer this in the right way. I'm trying to be smart. Right. And what I'm going to give you is what I've heard in the news media. Right. Well, is that really your concern? Right. 
or your neighbors right. or your buddies? Not really, right? Instead, like there has to be a way to spend time with people right. and to listen to the way they talk about their lives mm-hmm. and to the way they talk about it with the people they know, not me, interviewer, you right. know, not me, stranger over the phone. Um, how do we do that? It's going to take some real creativity, but I actually think it's possible. And in your work and, and kind of just in general, what's what's the next thing to watch? Yeah. Oh, well, that's a great question. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to watch myself, <laughs> myself figure it out myself. But yeah. um, I would say, you know, how is it, to, you know, how is it possible to actually lift up the voices of a broad array of people? Also, um, how how do we do this thing of drawing attention to rural concerns and better understanding what's going on in smaller places and at the same time paying attention to the fact that democracy in general right. is broken and to try to find a way to fix it for everybody and at the same time just keep our eyes on the racial injustice ball right like that I, I believe it's possible to recognize the dignity of people in our rural communities and their goodness right. and their compassion and their <laughs> their just sheer delightfulness, you know what I mean? Yeah. And at the same time, notice that racism is alive and well Yeah. and in our cities too, right? Yeah. So all of those, I'm trying to well, keep and, after all those things. And that seems to be the, the big question that came up in... Um, organizing circles, political circles, maybe advocacy circles is, you know, this question between identity politics and, and, and economic justice, I guess you could say. Yeah. And I've always struggled with that because I've always felt like rural is an identity just as much as it is a a geography. Yeah. And sometimes I almost feel like we should be doing, we should, if, you know, that the identity part of rural needs to be reaffirmed that we were on the last podcast, they said celebrate, celebrate and advocate a rural lifestyle, which I thought was uh, a good way of saying that. that yeah. but, but that seems to be a kind of a piece of this next step. Is people often refer to it as voting against their own interest, yeah. right, right? A rural voters voting against their own interest, which I've always kind of disagreed with that question, just because it assumes a lot. It assumes a lot. But I'm I'm wondering this dynamic that you've talked about in your book about. Um, one would think that the greater the distance between the rich and the poor, the yep. more the support for um, redistribution policies would would, would occur. The, yeah. the more popular they would become, but we don't see that right now. We don't see that. And why why is that? Yeah, great question. And I agree with you. Like that that question, why do people vote against their interests? Bugs me too because I think interests are super subjective and. You're assuming a lot saying that you can answer that better for someone than they can for themselves. And the question remains, why isn't there more support for redistribution? And I think from my own work, I also say what I learned from other people is that when you look at the U.S. compared to other countries, there's, there's less support for redistribution here, and it does seem to be driven at least in part by the fact that there's such a strong correspondence here between people of color and income levels and that people in our lowest tier of income earners are disproportionately people of color. Yeah. 
And so when people make that calculation of, am I willing to redistribute some of my wealth for those people, right. racism is in there, right? And mm-hmm. it's it's less appealing to people than if people in the lowest income tier looked like them, right? right. In my own work, what I hear is um, there's some of that, but then there's also the what you're asking people to do in supporting redistribution is trust the government, right? You're giving more stuff to the government so that they can do the right thing with it. And right now, the government, who believes the government is doing the right thing? Right. Right? And there are so many people in, you know, in, in the rural communities I'm studying, there's so many people who feel just completely ignored by the government. So ignored and, and disrespected, right, by the government. And basically what they're saying to me is, why would we ever want another government program? Why would we ever want more government, you know? And so redistribution, it's like the farthest thing from their mind because in their mind there's no way it's going to come out good for them. Well, Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Thanks so much for, you know, taking the time to chat and um My pleasure. Really appreciated the book and really enjoyed reading it. So thanks for writing it. Thank you. My thank you for saying so. Thanks a lot. I'm Matt Hildreth and you've been listening to Flyover Folk. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today was a very special episode for us. It was our 10th episode. As you may have noticed at the top of the show, we have a new intro created and recorded by the Ruralists from episode 9. You can find out more about them and their new record label, Northwest of Nowhere Records, by searching Northwest of Nowhere Records on Facebook. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter by searching Flyover Folk. 